Welcome to The Compassion of Jesus, sermon number 3438, published on Thursday, December 24, 1914, delivered by C.H. Spurgeon. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts are on the web at www.puritandownloads.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourself to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now to SWRB's reading of The Compassion of Jesus which we hope you to find to be a great blessing in which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. John 14, verse 6, as read by Lori L. Parker. He was moved with compassion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. This is said of Christ Jesus several times in the New Testament. The original word is a very remarkable one. It is not found in classic Greek. It is not found in the Septuagint. The fact is, it was a word coined by the evangelists themselves. They did not find one in the whole Greek language that suited their purpose, and therefore they had to make one. It is expressive of the deepest emotion, a striving of the bowels, a yearning of the innermost nature with pity. As the dictionaries tell us, Ex intimus viscerabus misericordia commovior. I suppose that when our Savior looked upon certain sights, those who watched him closely perceived that his internal agitation was very great. His emotions were very deep, and then his face betrayed it. His eyes gushed like founts with tears, and you saw that his big heart was ready to burst with pity for the sorrow upon which his eyes were gazing. He was moved with compassion. His whole nature was agitated with commiseration for the sufferers before him. Now, although this word is not used many times, even by the evangelists, yet it may be taken as a clue to the Savior's whole life, and I intend thus to apply it to him. If you would sum up the whole character of Christ in reference to ourselves, it might be gathered into this one sentence. He was moved with compassion. Upon this point we shall try to insist now, and may God grant that good practical result may come of it. First, I shall lead your meditations to the great transactions of our Savior's life. Secondly, to the special instances in which the expression is used by the evangelists. Thirdly, to the forethought which he took on our behalf. And fourthly, to the personal testimony which one's own recollections can furnish. Let us take a rapid survey of number 1. The Great Life of Christ Just touching as with a swallow's wing, the evidence it bears from the beginning, before ever the earth was framed, before the foundations of the everlasting hills were laid, when as yet the stars had not begun their shining, it was known to God that his creature, man, would sin. 
that the whole race would fall from its pure original state in the first Adam, the covenant head as well as the common parent of the entire human family, and that in consequence of that one man's disobedience, every soul born of his lineage would become a sinner too. Then, as the Creator knew that his creatures would rebel against him, he saw that it would become necessary, eventually, to avenge his injured law. Therefore, it was purposed in the eternal plan, ere the stream of time had commenced its course of ages, had begun to accumulate their voluminous records, that there should be an interposer, one ordained to come and rehead the race to be a second Adam, a federal chief, to restore the breach and repair the mischief of the first Adam, to be a surety to answer for the sons of men on whom God's love did light, that their sins should be laid upon him, and that he should save them with an everlasting salvation. No angel could venture to intrude into those divine counsels and decrees, or to offer himself as a surety and sponsor for that new covenant. Yet there was one, and he none other than Jehovah's self, of whom he said, Let all the angels of God worship him, the Son, the well-beloved of the Father, of whom it is written in the Word. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountain of the deep, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable parts of the earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. He it is of whom the Apostle John speaks as the Word who was God, and was in the beginning with God. Was he not moved with compassion when he entered into a covenant with his Father on our behalf, even on the behalf of all his chosen, a covenant in which he was to be the sufferer, and they the gainers, in which he was to bear the shame that he might bring them into his own glory. Yes, verily he was even then moved with compassion, for his delights even then were with the sons of men. Nor did his compassion peer forth in the prospect of an emergency presently to diminish and disappear as the rebellion took a more active form, and the ruin assumed more palpable proportions. It was no transient feeling. He continued still to pity men. He saw the fall of man. He marked the subtle serpent's mortal sting. He watched the trail as the slime of the serpent passed over the fair glades of Eden. He observed man in his evil progress, adding sin to sin through generation after generation, fouling every page of history until God's patience had been tried to the uttermost, and then, according as it was written in the volume of the book, that he must appear. Jesus Christ came himself into this stricken world. Came how? O oh, be astonished, ye angels, that ye were witnesses of it, and ye men that ye beheld it. The infinite came down to earth in the form of an infant, he who spans the heavens and holds the oceans in the hollow of his hand, condescended to hang upon a woman's breast. The king eternal became a little child. Let Bethlehem tell that he had compassion. There was no way of saving us but by stooping to us, to bring earth up to heaven. He must bring heaven down to earth. Therefore, in the incarnation, he must bring heaven down to earth. Therefore, 
in the incarnation he had compassion, for he took upon himself our infirmities, and was made like unto ourselves. Matchless pity indeed was this. Then, while he tarried in the world, a man among men, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, he was constantly moved with compassion, for he felt all the griefs of mankind in himself. He took our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. He proved himself a true brother, with quick human sensibilities. A tear brought a tear into his eye. A cry made him pause to ask what help he could render. So generous was his soul that he gave all he had for the help of those that had not. The fox had its hole and the bird its nest, but he had no dwelling place. Stripped even of his garments, he hung upon the cross to die. Never one so indigent in death as he, without a friend, without even a tomb, except such as alone could find him. He gave up all the comforts of life, he gave his life itself. He gave his very self to prove that he was moved with compassion. Most of all, do we see how he was moved with compassion in his terrible death? Oft and oft again I have told this story, yet these lips shall be dumb ere they cease to reiterate the old, old tidings. God must punish sin, or else he would relinquish the government of the universe. He could not let iniquity go unchastened, without compromising the purity of his administration. Therefore, the law must be honored. Justice must be vindicated. Righteousness must be upheld. Crime must be expiated by suffering. Who then shall endure the penance or make the reparation? Shall the dread sentence fall upon all mankind? How far shall vengeance proceed before equity is satisfied? After what manner shall the sword do homage to the scepter? Must the elect of God be condemned for their sins? No, Jesus is moved with compassion. He steps in, he takes upon himself the uplifted lash, and his shoulders run with gore. He bears his bosom to the furbished sword, and it smites the shepherd that the sheep may escape. He looked, and there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation." He trod the winepress alone, and bore that we might never bear, his father's righteous ire. And ye ask, what means the crucifixion of a perfect man upon a felon's cross? You may reply, he was moved with compassion. He saved others, himself he could not save. He was so moved with compassion, that compassion, as it were, did eat him up. He could save nothing from the general conflagration, he was utterly consumed with love, and died in the flame of ardent love towards the sons of men. And after he had died and slept a little while in the grave, he rose again. He has gone into his glory. He is living at the right hand of the Father. But this is just as true of him. He is moved with compassion. Is proof wanted? Let faith pass within the veil, and let your spirits for a moment stand upon that sea of glass, mingled with fire where stand the harpers tuning their never-ceasing melodies. What see you there, conspicuous in the very midst of heaven, but one who looks like a lamb that has been slain, and wears his priesthood still? What is his occupation there, in heaven? He has no bloody sacrifice to offer, for he has perfected forever those that were set apart. That work is done. 
But what is he doing now? He is pleading for his people. He is their perpetual advocate, their continual intercessor. He never rests until they come to their rest. He never holds his peace for them, but pleads the merit of his blood, and will do so till all whom the Father gave him shall be with him, where he is. Well indeed does our hymn express it. Now, though he reigns exalted high, his love is still as great. Well, he remembers Calvary, nor will his saints forget. His tender heart pities all the griefs of his dear people. There is not a pang they have, but the head feels it, feels it for all the members. Still doth he look upon their imperfections and their infirmities, yet not with anger, not with loss of patience, but with gentleness and sympathy. He is moved with compassion. Number two. Those passages of the evangelists in which they testify that he was moved with compassion. You will find one case in Matthew chapter 20 verse 31. Two blind men sat by the wayside begging, and when they heard that Jesus passed by, they said, O Lord, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stood still, called them, questioned them, and they seemed to have had full conviction that he both could and would restore their sight. So Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received sight. Yes, and what a lesson this is for any here present who have a like conviction. Do you believe that Christ can heal you? Do you believe that he is willing to heal you? Then let me assure you that a channel of communication is open between him and you. For he is moved with compassion towards you, and already I hear him command you to come to him. He is ready to heal you now. The sad condition of a blind man should always move pity in the breast of the humane. But a glance at these two poor men, I do not know that there was anything strange or uncommon about their appearance, touched the Savior's sensibility. And when he heard them say that they did believe he could heal them, he seemed to perceive that they had inward sight, and to account it a pity that they should not have outward sight too. So at once he put his fingers upon their eyes, and they received the power of seeing. O soul, if thou believest Christ can save thee, and if thou wilt now trust him to save thee, be of good cheer, thou art saved, that faith of thine hath saved thee. The very fact that thou believest that Jesus is the Christ, and doth rely upon him, may stand as evidence to thee that thou art forgiven, that thou art saved. There is no let or bar to thy full redemption. Go thy way and rejoice in thy Lord. He hath compassion on thee. The next case I shall cite is that of the leper. Mark chapter 1 verse 41. This poor man was covered with a sad and foul disease. When he said to Jesus, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He had full faith in Christ's ability, but he had some doubts as to Christ's willingness. Our Savior looked at him, and though he might very well have rebuked him, that he should doubt his willingness, he merely said, I will, be thou clean, and straightway he was made whole of that loathsome plague. If there is in this assembly one grievously defiled or openly disgraced by sin, seest thou the leprosy upon thyself, and dost thou say, I believe he could save me if he would? Hast thou some lingering doubt about the Savior's willingness? 
Yet I beseech you, breathe this prayer. Lord, I believe, I believe thy power. Help thou mine unbelief, which lingers round thy willingness. Then little as thy faith is, it shall save thee. Jesus, full of compassion, will pity even thine unbelief, and accept what is faith, and forgive what is unbelief. There is a second instance. The third I will give you is from Mark, chapter 5, verse 19. It was the demoniac. There met Christ, a man so possessed with a devil as to be mad, and instead of belief in Christ or asking for healing, the spirit within the man compelled him to say, Will thou torment us before the time? And rather to stand against Christ healing him than to ask for it. But Christ was moved with compassion, and he bade the evil spirit come out of the evil man. Oh, I am so glad of this instance of his being moved with compassion. I do not so much wonder that he has pity on those that believe in him. Neither do I so much marvel that he has pity, even on weak faith. But here was a case in which there was no faith, no desire, nor anything that could commend him to our Lord's sympathy. Is there no such case among the crowds gathered together here? You do not know why you have come into this assembly. You scarcely feel at home in this place. Though you have led a very sad life, you do not want to be converted, not you. You almost shun the thought. Yet it is written, He will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. Well, we have known it in this house, and I hope we shall know it again and again that the Lord has laid violent hands of love upon unprepared souls. They have been smitten down with repentance, renewed in heart and saved from their sins. Saul of Tarsus had no thought that he should ever be an apostle of Christ, but the Lord stopped the persecutor and changed him into a preacher so that ever afterwards he propagated the faith which once he destroyed. May the Lord have compassion on you tonight. Well, may we offer that prayer for what will be your fate if you die as you are. What will be your doom eternally if you pass out of this world, as soon you must, without being sprinkled with the blood of Christ and forgiven your iniquities? Jesus knows the terrors of the world to come. He describes the torments of hell. He sees your danger. He warns you. He pities you. He sends his messengers to counsel you. He bids me say to the very chief of sinners, Come unto me, I will give you rest. Only return unto me and confess thine iniquity, and I will have mercy upon thee, saith the Lord. May God grant that the compassion of Christ may be seen in thy case. As I turned over the Greek concordance to find out where this word is repeated again and again, I found one instance in Luke chapter 7 verse 13. It refers to the widow of the gates of Nain. Her son was being carried out, her only son. He was dead and she was desolate. The widow's only son was to her her sole stay, the succor as well as the solace of her old age. He was dead and laid upon the bier, and when Jesus saw the disconsolate mother, he was moved with compassion, and he restored her son. Oh, is there not refreshment here for you mothers that are weeping for your boys, you that have ungodly sons, unconverted daughters? The Lord Jesus sees your tears. You weep alone sometimes, and when you are sitting and enjoying the word, you think, 
Oh, that my Absalom were renewed. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Jesus knows about it. He was always tender to his own mother, and he will be so to you. And you that are mourning over those that have been lately taken from you, Jesus pities you. Jesus wept. He sympathizes with your tears. He will dry them and give you consolation. He was moved with compassion. Still the occasions on which we find this expression most frequently used in the evangelists are when crowds of people were assembled. At the sight of the great congregations that gathered to hear him, our Lord was often moved with compassion. Sometimes it was because they were hungry and faint, and in the fullness of his sympathy he multiplied the loaves and fishes to feed them. At the same time he showed his disciples that it is a good work to feed the poor. He would not have them so spiritually minded as to forget that the poor have flesh and blood that require sustenance, and they need to eat and to drink, to be housed and clothed. The Christian's charity must not lie in words only, but in deeds. Our Lord was moved with compassion. It is said, when he saw the number of sick people in the throng, for they made a hospital of his preaching place. Wherever he paused or even passed by, they laid the sick in the streets. He could not stand or walk without the spectacle of their pallets to harrow his feelings. And he healed their impotent folk, as to show that the Christian does well to minister to the sick, that the patient watcher by the bedside may be serving the Lord and following his example, as well as the most diligent teacher or the most earnest preacher of the glorious gospel. All means that can be used to mitigate human suffering are Christ-like, and they ought to be carried out in His name, and carried to the utmost perfection possible. Christ is the patron of the hospital. He is the president of all places where men's bodies are carried for. But we are also told that the multitude excited His compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So He taught them as a guide that showed the path by leading the way, and he looked after their welfare as a shepherd who regarded the health of their bodies as well as the good estate of their souls. Surely, brethren and sisters, if you love him and wish to be like him, you cannot look on this congregation without pity. You cannot go out into the streets of London and stand in the high roads among the surging masses for half an hour without saying, Whither away these souls? Which road are they traveling? Will they all meet in heaven? What? Live ye in London? Move ye about in this great metropolis? And do ye never have the heartache? Never feel your soul ready to burst with pity? Then shame upon you. Ask yourself whether you have the Spirit of Christ at all. In this congregation, where we all moved with pity as we should be, I should not have to complain, as I sometimes must, that persons come in and out here in want of someone to speak with them, to condole, to console, or to commune with them in their loneliness, and they find no helper. Time was when such a thing never occurred. But, in conversing with inquirers lately, I have met with several cases in which persons in a distressed state of mind have said that they would have given anything for half an hour's conversation with any Christian to whom they might have opened their hearts. They came from the country, attended the tabernacle, and no one spoke to them. I am sorry it should be so. You used to watch for souls, most of you. 
Very careful were you to speak to those whom you saw again and again. I do pray you mend that matter. If you have any bowels of mercy, you should be looking out for opportunities to do good. Oh, never let a poor wounded soul faint for want of the balm. You know the balm. It has healed yourselves. Use it wherever the arrows of God have smitten a soul. Enough. I must leave this point. I have given you, I think, every case in which it is said that Jesus was moved with compassion. Very briefly, let me notice. Number three. Some of the foresights of his compassion. The Lord has gone from us, but as he knew what would happen while he was away, he has, with blessed forethought, provided for our wants. Well, he knew that we should never be able to preserve the truth by tradition. That is a stream that always muddies and defiles everything. So in tender forethought, he has given us the consolidated testimony, the unchangeable truth in his own book. For he was moved with compassion. He knew the priests would not preach the gospel. He knew that no order of men could be trusted to hold fast sound doctrine from generation to generation. He knew there would be hirelings that dare not be faithful to their conscience, lest they should lose their pay, while there would be others who loved to tickle men's ears and flatter their vanity rather than to tell out plainly and distinctly the whole counsel of God. Therefore, he has put it here, so that if you live where there is no preacher of the gospel, you have the old book to go to. He is moved with compassion for you. For where a man cannot go, the book can go, and where in silence no voice is heard, the still clear voice of this blessed book can reach the heart. Because he knew the people would require this sacred teaching and could not have it otherwise, he was moved with compassion towards us all and gave us the blessed book of inspired, God-breathed scripture. But then, since he knew that some would not read the Bible and others might read and not understand it, he has sent his ministers forth to do the work of evangelists. He raises up men, saved themselves from great sin, trophies of redeeming grace, who feel a sympathy with their fellow men who are reveling in sin, reckless of their danger. These servants of his the Lord enables to preach his truth some with more, some with less ability than others. Still, there are, thank God, throughout this happy realm and in other favored lands, men everywhere who, because sinners will not come to Christ of themselves, go after them and persuade them and plead with them and entreat them to believe and turn to the Lord. This cometh of Christ's tender gentleness. He was moved with compassion, and therefore he sent his servants to call sinners to repentance. But since the minister, though he may call as he may, will not bring souls to Christ of himself, the Lord Jesus, moved with compassion, has sent his Spirit. The Holy Ghost is here. We have not to say, Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove. He is here. He dwells in his church, and he moves over the congregation, and he touches men's hearts, and he subtly inclines them to believe in Christ. Oh, this is great mercy when a prince spreads a feast and gives an invitation. That is all you can expect him to do. But if he keeps a host of footmen and says, Go and fetch them one by one till they do come, that is more gracious still. But if he goes himself and with sacred violence compels them to come in, oh, this is more than we could have thought he would have done. But he is moved with compassion and he does that. Furthermore, brethren, 
The Lord Jesus knew that after we were saved from the damning power of sin, we should always be full of wants, and therefore he was moved with compassion, and he set up the throne of grace, the mercy seat, to which we may always come and from which we may always obtain grace to help in time of need. Helped by his Spirit, we can bring what petitions we will, and they shall be heard. And then, since he knew we could not pray as we ought, he was moved with compassion when he sent the Holy Spirit to help our infirmities, to teach us how to pray. Now I do not know a single infirmity that I have or that you have, my Christian brother, but what Christ Jesus has been moved with compassion about it and has provided for it. He has not left one single weak point of which we have to say, There I shall fail, because he will not help there. But he has looked us over and over from head to foot, and said, You will have an infirmity there, I will provide for it. You will have a weakness there, I will provide for it. And oh, his promises meet every case. Did you ever get into a corner where there was not a promise in the corner too? Had you ever to pass through a river, but there was a promise about his being in the river with you? Were you ever on the sick bed without a promise like this? I will make thy bed in thy sickness. In the midst of the pestilence, have not you found a promise that he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust? The Lord's great compassion has met the wants of all his servants to the end. If our children should ever need much patience to be exercised towards them as Christ needs to exercise towards us, I am sure there would be none of us able to bear the house. They have their infirmities, and they full often vex and grieve us. It may be, but oh, we ought to have much compassion for the infirmities of our children, I, and of our brethren and sisters and neighbors, for what compassion has the Lord had with us? I do believe none but God could bear with such untoward children as we ourselves are. He sees our faults, you know, when we do not see them, and he knows what those faults are more thoroughly than we do. Yet still he never smites in anger. He cuts us not off, but he still continues to show us abounding mercies. Oh, what a guardian Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ to us, and how we ought to bless his name at all times, and how his praise should be continually in our mouth. One thought strikes me that I must put in here. He knew that we should be very forgetful, and he was moved with compassion with our forgetfulness. When he instituted the Blessed Supper, and we can sit around the table and break bread and put forth the wine in remembrance of him, surely this is another instance of how he is moved with compassion, and not with indignation towards our weaknesses. And now let me close with number 4. Personal Recollections of the Compassion of Christ I shall only recall my own experience in order to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. My brethren and sisters, I do well remember when I was under conviction of sin and smarted bitterly under the rod of God, that when I was most heavy and depressed there would sometimes come something like hope across my spirit. I knew what it was to say, my soul chooses strangling rather than life. Yet when I was at the lowest ebb and most ready to despair, Though I could not quite lay hold of Christ, I used to get a touch of the promise now and then, till I half hoped that, after all, I might prove to be God's prisoner, and he might yet set me free. 
I do remember well when my sins compassed me about like bees, and I thought it was all over me, and I must be destroyed by them. It was at that moment when Jesus revealed himself to me. Had he waited a little longer, I had died of despair, but that was no desire of his. On swift wings of love, he came and manifested his dear wounded self to my heart. I looked to him and was lightened, and my peace flowed like a river. I rejoiced in him. Yes, he was moved with compassion. He would not let the pangs of conviction be too severe, neither would he suffer them to be protracted too long for the spirit of man to fail before him. It is not his wont to break a leaf that is driven by the tempest. He will not quench the smoking flax. Yea, and I do remember since I first saw him and began to love him, many sharp and severe troubles, dark and heavy trials. Yet have I noted this, that they have never reached the pitch of severity which I was unable to bear. When all gates seemed closed, there has still been with the trial a way of escape, and I have noted again that in deeper depressions of spirit, through which I have passed, and horrible despondencies that have crushed me down, I have had some gleams of love and hope and faith at the last moment, for he was moved with compassion. If he withdrew his face, it was only till my heart broke for him, and then he showed me the light of his countenance again. If he laid the rod upon me, yet when my soul cried under his chastening, he could not bear it, but he put the rod back, and he said, My child, I will comfort thee. Oh, the comforts that he gives on a sick bed! Oh, the consolations of Christ, when you are very low! If there is anything dainty to the taste in the word of God, you get it then. If there be any bowels of mercy, you hear them sounding for you then. When you are in the saddest plight, Christ comes to your aid with the sweetest manifestations, for he is moved with compassion. How frequently have I noticed, and I tell it to his praise, for though it shows my weakness, it proves his compassion that sometimes after preaching the gospel, I have been so filled with self-reproach that I could hardly sleep through the night because I had not preached as I desired. I have sat me down and cried over some sermons, as though I knew that I had missed the mark and lost the opportunity. Not once or twice, but many a time has it happened, that within a few days someone has come to tell me that he found the Lord through that very sermon." the shortcoming of which I had deplored. Glory be to Jesus, it was his gentleness that did it. He did not want his servant to be too much bowed down with a sense of infirmity. And so he had compassion on him and comforted him. Have not you noticed, some of you, that after doing your best to serve the Lord, when somebody has sneered at you, or you have met with such a rebuff as made you half inclined to give up the work, an unexpected success has been given to you, so that you have not played the Jonah and ran away to Tarshish, but kept to your work? Ah, how many times in your life, if you could read it all, you would have to stop and write the between the lines. He was moved with compassion. Many and many a time, when no other compassion could help, when all the sympathy of friends would be unavailing, he has been moved with compassion towards us has said to us, Be of good cheer, banished our fears with the magic of his voice, and filled our souls to overflowing with gratitude. When we have been misrepresented, traduced, and slandered, we have found in the sympathy of Christ our richest support, till we could sing with rapture the verse. I cannot help quoting it now. 
though I have often quoted it before. If on my face for thy dear name shame and reproach shall be, I'll hail reproach and welcome shame, since thou rememberest me. The compassion of the master making up for all the abuses of his enemies, and believe me there is nothing sweeter to a forlorn and broken spirit than the fact that Jesus has compassion. Are any of you sad and lonely? Have any of you been cruelly wronged? Have you lost the good will of some of you esteemed? Do you seem as if you had the cold shoulder, even from good people? Do not say in the anguish of your spirit, I am lost, and give up. He hath compassion on you. Nay, poor fallen woman, seek not the dark river and the cold stream. He has compassion. He who looks down with bright eyes of yonder stars and watches thee is thy friend. He yet can help thee. Though he has gone so far from the path of virtue, throw not thyself away in blank despair, for he hath compassion. And thou, broken down in health and broken down in fortune, scarcely would shew to thy feet, thou art welcome in the house of God, welcome as the most honored guest in the assembly of the saints. Let not the weighty grief that overhangs thy soul tempt thee to think that hopeless darkness has settled thy fate and foreclosed thy doom. Though thy sin may have beggared thee, Christ can enrich thee with better riches. He hath compassion. Ah, say you, they will pass me on the stairs. They will give me a broad pathway, and if they see me in the street, they will not speak to me. Even his disciples will not. Be it so, but better than his disciples, tenderer by far, is Jesus. Is there a man here whom to associate with, or a scandal from which the pure and pious would shrink? The holy, harmless, undefiled one will not disdain even him. For this man receiveth sinners. He is a friend of publicans and sinners. He is never happier than when he is relieving and retrieving the forlorn, the abject, and the outcast. He despises not any that confess their sins and seek his mercy. No pride nestles in his dear heart. No sarcastic word rolls off his gracious tongue. No bitter expression falls from his blessed lips. He still receives the guilty. Pray to him now. Now let the silent prayer go up. My Savior, have pity upon me. Be moved with compassion towards me. For if misery be any qualification for mercy, I am a fit object for thy compassion. O save me for thy mercy's sake. Amen. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, 
MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.